Well, uh, let me welcome you this morning to our online service for Charleston Community Church and St. Peter's Free Church. And we're broadcasting from Charleston this week. Uh, and unlike last week, we have no live band as we uh, seek to adhere to um, the good and wise advice of our government in this time of isolation. Uh, last week was weird for me. I think it's the first time I'd ever done something like that. This week's even weirder because now it's just me uh, and the camera. But we're still gathering together online to worship God. Um, so this morning we're going to follow a similar pattern to what we would normally do in a church service. We're going to pray, we're going to sing songs, and we're going to listen to God's word. Uh, let me just say to our folks in Charleston, please keep in touch. It's easy to lose touch at this time. If you're sick and vulnerable, or if you know someone who's sick and vulnerable uh, and needs help just getting supplies, um, please do get in touch with us. Uh, we also have a list of phone numbers at the front of the church here, which has contact information for um, food banks, uh, phone numbers for how to um, deal with um, issues like electricity or uh, various things that you might be struggling with in this time of isolation. Um, please do check that out if you need help there. Um, if you're tuning in from St. Peter's, let me encourage you to make sure that you're signed up for the weekly email. Uh, you need to keep in touch, I think, with what the elders are saying. That's a good uh, way to do that. Um, if you don't get them, then please do get in touch with Sylvie in the office. You'll find her uh, contact details on the St. Pete's website. Uh, please do make sure as well that you are uh, part of a pastoral group so that we can best look out and care for one another in this time. Let me begin then our service by praying to God. Let's pray together. Father, we want to begin by praising you and giving thanks for who you are. Father, you are the God who sees the beginning and the end. You're the God who knows exactly what he's doing, the God who made this world and who governs and controls it. Father, this situation has got many of us vexed, confused, anxious. And yet it does not faze you. Father, you are great and all-powerful. And you're also the God who sent your Son to save us from the biggest problem that we have in our lives, which is not this virus, but our sin. And so, Father, we, we come and we admit to you now that we are sinners. We have sinned against you in what we have said, in what we have thought, and what we have done. Father, we have not loved you like we should have, and we have not loved our neighbour as ourselves. We admit that we are broken, that we are sinful. But we admit it, Lord, not fearful of your judgment. We admit it because it hurts us, but we know because of Jesus that we are forgiven. And so, Father, we are so grateful that your son took the punishment our sin deserved on himself so that we could be set free. We praise you, Jesus, that you have dealt with our biggest problem. Father, we, um, at this time, we long to be back together. We long to be with one another, singing together, meeting each other. We miss the hugs and the handshakes and the fellowship, friends and family. So we ask, Lord, that, that you would bring a swift end to this isolation 
We pray for those who are struggling, being alone right now, Father. We pray for those who are worried about their finances and what they're going to do after this um, pandemic. Lord God, these are, these are real concerns that are legitimate concerns. But we pray that you would help give a sense of perspective, that you would help folks see that if they trust Jesus, then you are their Father and you care for them. Would you give them a peace and a comfort, Lord? Father, we want to pray as well for our government leaders. We pray for um, our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. We ask that he would get better and that he would lead this nation wisely. We pray for our First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, Lord. We ask that you would give both them the wisdom to, um, to lead well. And may they lead, so, may they lead under your authority, Lord. Please would you help our government. They've got some difficult decisions to make. Father, we want to pray as well for um, our NHS staff, for those on the front lines. We pray for the doctors, for the nurses, for midwives, for um, the cleaners, for all those that are um, labouring hard at this time to help contain this virus. Father, we're so grateful for them. Ask, Lord, that you would please use their efforts to bring a swift end to this pandemic. Father, we do pray that in all of this, that, 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 that this will lead people to an acknowledgement of how frail and finite we are. Our life is just a breath. It's out with our control. Father, we pray that this would draw people to repent of their sin and to put their trust in the one who is infinite who is in control of all things and who will work out everything for the good of those who love him. Father, may we feel, as we gather now at home watching this, may we, may we not feel separate. May we feel that we are together as your church. May we feel that your presence very much is with us as we listen to your word. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to um, begin then our service by singing uh, Psalm 62, the Stuart Townend version of the psalm. Uh, we'll sing this psalm together. Let's sing.
If you want to grab your Bibles and open it to Job chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can go on uh, BibleGateway.com right now and look up Job chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read all the way um, through chapter 4 and 5, all the way through to chapter 6, verse 10. So it's a bit of a, a long reading. Um, if you're just tuning in for the first time, you're joining us um, right at the beginning uh, of a series that we're doing uh, of a book in the Bible called the Book of Job. And it's a book that deals with the very complex issue of suffering. So very timely with what's going on here. Um, we planned to do this in Charleston Community Church uh, about a month ago. Uh, and it's amazing in God's providence that that is what we are looking at now. Um, I was saying last week that one of the main purposes of the book of Job is to give us a, a key resource that we need to endure through suffering. Uh, and that's wisdom. This book is a wisdom book. So uh, last week we met the main character, a man called Job. We know that Job is blameless and upright, and yet he was a man who suffered unimaginable pain. He lost his money, he lost his job, he lost his kids, and he lost his health. Now today we're going to meet Job's friend and uh, friends, and the big thing we're going to think about this morning is this idea of comfort. Um, so how do, how do we comfort a friend in suffering? What's the biblical way to comfort someone? And, and what's the kind of comfort that we need? Uh, and just before we go and look at what, 
uh, his first friend says in chapter 4. Uh, I wonder actually if we could just look back to chapter 2 verse 11. This is where we first meet Job's three friends. Um, we left Job sitting alone on a um, rubbish heap. He has sores all over his body. He's cutting himself with a broken piece of pottery. And then chapter 2 verse 11, his friends turn up. Let me just read that. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Imagine that. I mean, they just see their pal from a distance and what they see causes them so much pain that they break down they weep with him and they sit in silence with him for seven days. Now, let me say, uh, when these three friends sit in silence with Job, that is their best moment. Because as soon as they open their mouth to try and give Job what they think is wise advice, uh, they just give the most horrible and false comfort possible. Uh, in fact, uh, in chapter 16, Job will call them miserable comforters. That is what these friends are like. Uh, and at the very end of the book, God himself will speak to the friends and he'll say, you guys talk such nonsense about me. You better hope that my servant Job prays for you. So when we read what the friends are about to say uh, and Job's response, it's helpful to remember that on the whole, the friends are wrong in their advice. And on the whole, what Job says is right. So let's read uh, the first friend. It's this guy, Eliphaz. Um, can I just say that uh, everything from this point in Job is written like a poem. So some of these speeches, when you read them, they're really confusing. If you're not into poetry like me, you may be thinking, what on earth is this person saying? I hope as we kind of walk through it, it'll make sense. Um, but Job in chapter three has just said that he's told his friends that he wished he was dead. And this is the first friend Eliphaz now speaking in response to that. Job chapter 4. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence, Job, and your blameless ways your hope? Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God they perish, at the blast of his anger they are no more. The lions may roar and growl, yet the teeth of the great lions are broken. The lions perish for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. A word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it. Amid disquieting dreams in the night when deep sleep falls on people, fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face and the hair on my body stood up on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal 
be more righteous than God? Can a strong man be more pure than his maker? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth. Between dawn and dusk they are broken to pieces. Unnoticed they perish forever. Are not the cords of their tent pulled up so that they die without wisdom? Call if you will, but who will answer to you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. I myself have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly his house was cursed. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. The hungry consume his harvest, taking it even from among thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground, and yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. But if I were you, Job, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. He provides rain for the earth. He sends water on the countryside. The lowly he sets on high and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He thwarts the plans of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their craftiness and the schemes of the wily are swept away. Darkness comes upon them in the daytime. At noon they grope us in the night. He saves the needy from the sword in their mouth. He saves them from the clutches of the powerful so the poor have hope and injustice shuts its mouth. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. From six calamities he will rescue you, and seven no harm will touch you. In famine he will deliver you from death, and in battle from the stroke of the sword. You will be protected from the lash of the tongue, and need not fear when destruction comes. You will laugh at destruction and famine, need not fear the wild animals. For you will have a covenant with the stones of the field and the wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your property and find nothing missing. You will know that your children will be many and your descendants like the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave in full vigour like sheaves gathered in the season. We have examined this Job and it's true. So hear it and apply it to yourself. Then Job replied, If only my anguish could be weighed, and all my misery placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshalled against me. Does a wild donkey bray when it has grass, or an ox bellow when it has fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt, or is there flavour in the sap of the mallow? I refuse to touch it, such food makes me ill. Oh, that I would have my request. That God would grant what I hope for. That God would be willing to crush me and let loose his hand and cut off my life. Then I would still have this consolation, my joy and unrelenting pain. That I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Well, let me uh, pray and then we'll look at this passage of scripture together. Let's pray. 
Father, we, uh, we need your help to understand this. It's quite confusing. Um, Father, we need wisdom as well. So pray and we just ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us now. Please give us the wisdom we need to know what comfort to offer others and what comfort we need for our own souls. Speak to us, Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we're going to think about comfort. Um, that is what we need, isn't it? And in times of suffering and trial, it's a great thing when you've got a friend who's there and who's able to offer good advice and who's there just to offer comfort. Sometimes I think, you know, if you're going through hard times, one of the best things that you can do for a friend and you can receive as someone who's struggling uh, is what um, Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar did when they initially met Job. They just sat with him in silence and wept with him. And if you've got a friend who's suffering, that's a, that's a great place to start, isn't it? Just being there for them, just weeping with them, just sitting there and not saying a word. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes says that there is a time to be silent. We don't want to rush in and say, this is what you need. But there is also a time to speak. So what comfort can we give? What help can we give to one another in the church when suffering comes and we struggle? Let, let me just say really from the onset, uh, what we're talking about in the book of Job will always assume that what we need first and foremost is God. Okay? And I think it's important to say that because a lot of people at this time are looking for comfort, but they're looking anywhere outside of God. Um, but Job is clear that God is center stage. You need him. You need Jesus first and foremost in your life. The question that Job and his friends are wrestling with is how does suffering affect our relationship with God? And so how do we give comfort into suffering situations whilst acknowledging the sovereignty and the love of God? That's what we're going to look at um, from this passage. So to that end, there's, there's three points that I really want to pick up on. Firstly, we're going to look at a bad example of comfort. We'll look at the useless comfort of a religious friend. Secondly, we're going to look at the kind of longing for comfort that we see in Job's response. And then finally, we're going to look at how the grace of the Lord Jesus can give comfort. So we'll look at a bad example, we'll look at Job's longing for it, and we'll look and see how the grace of Jesus um, feeds into our need for comfort. Firstly then, let's look at the useless comfort of a religious friend. Um, like I said, the poetry in here is weird. Like, there's, what, what's all this about donkeys and, you know, sap of the mallow and kind of some of the illustrations don't make much sense to us. So uh, if just grab your Bible, open it, go back to chapter four, verse one. I want to try and walk through this. Um, so you need to follow me. Just kind of want to walk through and try and understand what it is that Eliphaz says to Job and why it is such miserable comfort. And I think there's kind of three things basically that he says. Uh, the first thing that Eliphaz says to Job is, Job, you need to remember that God does not allow innocent people to suffer. Okay, that's what he says. Remember, Job, God does not allow innocent people to suffer. So chapter four, verse one, um, he begins very kind. He says, you know, if someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? 
but who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. So Eliphaz is saying, look, Job, I hope you don't mind me speaking. I know that you have often helped people with your words, but now you need to listen to my words. And Job, I want you to remember what it is that all of us know. Verse 7. Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Now do you see what Eliphaz is saying there? He's saying to Job, look we both know suffering isn't random. Innocent people do not get punished by God. Those who sow trouble are those who will reap it. In other words, Eliphaz is saying to Job, Job, you must have done something wrong here for God to inflict all this pain on you. Right? That's what Eliphaz and that's what um, Job's other two friends, Bildad and Zophar, think. The friends think Job has done something wrong. He has sinned against God and that's why God is punishing him with this suffering. Now we know that's not true if we've read chapter 1 and 2. But that is their understanding of how God works. So that's the first thing he says. He says, Job, remember, God doesn't allow innocent people to suffer. The second thing he says is, Job, you need to also remember that God is strong and far off and you are small and weak. There is a big distance between the two of you. So in verse 12, um, this is, is, a, is weird. He starts, Eliphaz talks about this kind of weird vision that he has. Verse 12, a word that was secretly brought to me. Uh, it seems he's, he's gone into a deep sleep and then this figure appears before him. And the figure says, verse 17, can a mortal be more righteous than God? I think a better translation of that is, can a man be right before God? In other words, we are, we are so far from God, we could never be right before him. And in verse 18, he says, even the angels aren't trustworthy. They get charged with error. Therefore, Job, what do you think God is going to have to do with you? He is great. You are small. He is immortal. You are immortal. You need to get realistic about this. There's no person to stand between you and this great God. So chapter 5 verse 1, call now. That's what I do, call now. Call now and who do you think is going to answer you? And, and Eliphaz expects the answer to be no one. So verse 2, don't be filled with resentment at what has happened to you, Job. Because resentment kills a fool. And you and I know what happens to fools. Now, life has then goes on to describe what, what happens to the fool. It's worth noting just how insensitive a life has is. I think we'll see that with all three friends. They're extremely insensitive to uh, Job's pain. Look at verse 4. Bear in mind, this is a man who's just lost all his children. All ten of them were crushed to death. Look at what Eliphaz says happens to the fool in verse 4. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. So Job, you're being a fool. Be realistic. God is far off. He is great and big and you're small and weak. And then the final thing he wants to say to Job is, 
Job, you need to accept that what's happening to you now is the discipline of God. Accept that, turn back to God, and he'll bless you. In light of all that I've said, Job, verse 8, in light of all of I said, if I were you, this is what I would do. I would appeal to God and lay my cause before him. You see, he is great and powerful. He is just and good. He does not let wickedness go unpunished. But if you humbly come before him, and, and, and say you're sorry. Verse 17, blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. By the way, isn't that a wonderful verse? You, know, you can imagine some Christians would have that verse on the side of a coffee cup or on a tea towel. Um, it's, it's a good verse. In fact, so much of what Eliphaz says is pretty good. And he, he kind of closes this speech um, with a very moving poem about how God blesses those who don't turn away from his discipline. How he blesses those who trust him. And he says in verse 27, hear this Job. We have examined this, all of us, me and my two pals, we've got together. We know this is true. So hear this and apply it to yourself. Let me just sum up then. It's a very long-winded speech. In fact, um, I think Job later on calls uh, their speeches windy words. You know, just long-winded, but with nothing of substance in it. Uh, let me try and sum up basically what Eliphaz is saying to Job. He's saying, Job, my friend, you know as well as I that God does not cause innocent people to suffer. He is great and mighty. We are small and weak. Therefore, you must have done something wrong to deserve this. What's happening to you is God's way of disciplining you. But if you turn back to him, he will bless you. That is useless comfort. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, there's stuff in here that's really true. In fact, most of what life has says is true. Um, so you reap what you sow. That's true, isn't it? Do you know what that means? Like if, um, you, you know, you suffer the consequences of your actions. So if your liver packs in because you're boozing all the time, that's you reaping what you sow. That's true, isn't it? The Bible also talks about the fact that God does discipline his people. Like a loving father would discipline their children. But here's the problem with what Eliphaz is saying. It is not true in this situation. It is totally misapplied. Job is not suffering because he has done something wrong. Job is not under God's discipline. You see, this is how Eliphaz and his friends understand the world. And by the way, I think this is how a lot of folks understand or, or think about God and how God works. God will give good things to good people and God will punish bad people. I know there's a lot of folks in the scheme that think that's how God works. Let me say, I said it last week, sometimes it's called karma. Let me say that's such a horrible and twisted view. I know there are people uh, watching this now who are part of our church in Charleston. And I know that there's people who are part of the church in St. Peter's even this week who have received some horrible news. 
And if they believed that, if they listened to someone like Eliphaz, they would think that God is punishing them. And that's not true. And yet the miserable comfort of someone from Eliphaz, to be honest, it's often what we hear. And it's what we hear from religious people, people who call themselves Christians. Uh, there'll be some who will say, you know, about this pandemic, this virus spreading, they might be saying, well, this is God's judgment on us because of whatever reason. I remember, um, it's a long time ago, 15 years ago, back in 2004, that tsunami that hit the coast of Thailand. Um, and a lot of people died in that. I remember there was um, religious people saying, well, that's God's judgment on the beach resorts in Thailand. Or I remember, I know of one guy who was told by his church that the cancer he had was something that he had received because of his lack of faith in God. That's a true story. Let me tell you, that is such a wicked, wicked thing to say. You see, people want to give answers and reasons and... It's so foolish and so wrong because the truth is they have no clue. Eliphaz, do you notice that every time kind of when Eliphaz speaks, um, he doesn't come back to what he knows true in God's word. He doesn't look at what God says. He says things like, I have observed or I had this weird dream. And that is how he bases his understanding of the world. How dare we speak for God when we don't know? Useless comfort is one that tries to answer questions that you don't know the answer to. And do you know what the real problem is with, with this, with Eliphaz and his pal, is that they want to limit God to their understanding. So this is how I see the world. This is um, what, how I think it should function. Therefore, if there is a God, he's got to operate by my standards. They have a way that they think God should work. And if God doesn't play by their rules, then they just won't accept it. And that's why they, they can't handle Job's innocence. In fact, as the speeches go on in the book of Job, they get a lot shorter and they get a lot more angry with Job. Because Job doesn't fit their system. Eliphaz has no room for the wild, untamable God of the Bible. He wants God to operate on his terms. Look, we don't know why God allows certain suffering and pain to happen. God can bring judgment and he does. God can discipline and he does. But more often than not, we have no idea why God would allow us to go through certain things. Here's one of the things that I think I've learned from looking at the wisdom literature in the Bible. There is great wisdom in saying, I don't know. When friends ask, why has God allowed this to happen? Sometimes the wisest thing we could say is we don't know. Now that does not mean that we don't know anything about God. There is stuff that we'll see in a minute. There's aspects of God and what God has told us that is certain and that we must hold on to. But there's so much that we don't know. And when we try and come up with answers, that is foolish. You know, in, in John chapter 9, there's a, an incident where Jesus is with his disciples and they see a man that is born blind. And his disciples ask Jesus, who sinned so that this man, uh, who sinned so that this man could be born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus says to them, neither. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. 
look, we don't know why. We might come up with reasons and systems and formulas. But God very often doesn't operate on our terms. But what we can know is that God does operate, that God is working. So when we give counsel and comfort, here's what we mustn't say. We mustn't give a pat answer like religious people would. But nor must we say there is no answer, there is no reason like like atheists would. Because the truth is that we don't know. Just because we cannot see the point doesn't make it pointless. So what do we do then? What do we do when we're going through these hard times and we don't know why? Well, let's listen to Job. Eliphaz doesn't seem to have done that. Let's, let's listen to what he says. And I think in, in Job's response to Eliphaz, we can see something of, of how we should respond in times of darkness and suffering. So this is the second point, the kind of longing for comfort, the painful response of this depressed believer. And chapter 6, chapter 6 is brutal, right? Don't skip over what this man's feeling. Look at how he begins. If my anguish could be weighed and all my misery placed on a scale, it would surely outweigh the sands of the sea. Um, That word for anguish um, is the same word that Eliphaz uses in chapter 5 verse 2 where it's translated as resentment and it means like, like vexation, like just confused, not knowing what's going on. So Eliphaz says to Job that your vexation, your confusion, confusion will kill a fool. And Job says in response, Eliphaz, vexation. Oh boy, you have no idea how vexed I am. If you were to take all my vexation and pain and and put it on a scale, you would see that it outweighs the sand of the sea. I have no idea what's going on. It's absolutely tearing me apart. And you can read in his speech, it's like all the energy has been sapped from him. He feels that God's arrows have have pierced him, verse 4. He feels that God's terror is marshaled against him. In verse 6 and 7, he, uh, confusing thing, I don't know what he's meaning, by the way, about donkey's brain and ox bellowing in verse 5. Uh, but verse 6 and 7 is also confusing. He's talking about this tasteless food, but he's probably referencing Eliphaz's words. He's saying, Eliphaz, your words are just hollow and tasteless. There's nothing. You're saying to me, look, if I turn back to God, God will bless me. Eliphaz, I'm telling you, I have not, never turned away from God and he has not blessed me. I am not doing fine. In fact, the only thing that I am holding on to is the fact that I have not turned away from him. I have kept the words of the Holy One. In fact, I am so low and depressed right now that I just wish, verse 9, I just wish God would kill me. Now that is dark. Job is in a dark pit of depression where many a believer in God has been. Here's the thing about Christianity. We don't run from this. You can see that in the book of Job. We don't just say, hey, everything's going to be all right. We deal with this. We we confront this. The Bible confronts this in a way that no other book does. So what can we learn from from Job? If you're in that dark pit of depression, or you're counselling a friend who's in that dark pit of depression, and I know depression's complicated and um, there's many factors to it and you you need medical help and and stuff like that, which is really important. 
Um, this is the kind of depression that is brought on by extreme suffering. What, what do you do if this is you? Let, let me just pick out five principles I think we see from what Job says that I think is really helpful. Firstly, let's notice that Job's emotionally honest. It's so important when you're suffering, when you're dying, when you're feeling anxiety, it's so important that you don't just put a face on. Don't think that church is full of people who have got it sorted. Trust me, we are messed up sinners. We've not got it sorted. We muck up every day and we are struggling with so much. Don't put a face on. Be emotionally honest. I mean, isn't that what Job's like? He's not pretending here. Speak to other Christians. Speak to other people in the church about what's going on. The second thing we see is that Job speaks to God. He speaks to others, but he also speaks to God. It's so important that we voice our pain, not just to our friends, but to the one who made us. Prayer is so easy to abandon when you're depressed. In verse 8, that is what Job is doing. He's, he's talking about his request, his prayer to God. It's a dark prayer, but he's still speaking to him. You've got to pray, even if it feels black and empty. And if you have a friend who is there, the best thing you could do is phone them up, WhatsApp them, whatever, just pray for them. Third thing, this is really important. Uh, like I said, this is really dark and re really low where he is at. But the third thing that we need to recognise here is that Job does not consider suicide to be an option. Job wants to die, but he respects God so much that he wants God to do it, not him. This is not the answer, suicide. We see that that is what he wants in verse 9. And now don't mishear this. Suicide is not the unforgivable sin, as some churches have taught. It's not. It is a sin, but all sin by the grace of the Lord Jesus can be forgiven. It's not a sin, but it's not the answer. Job's still holding on to God. So he's emotionally honest. Secondly, he speaks to God. Thirdly, he doesn't consider suicide as an answer. Fourthly, Job's only comfort is the fact that he is holding on to God's word. See, there's no, there's no outburst of anger against God. He's not trying to get God back for what he feels God has inflicted upon them. What Job is holding on to is the fact that he's sticking with God, that he has been faithful to God, and it feels like he is just holding on to this ledge by his fingertips. But he knows if he lets go, he's got nothing. Without Jesus, there is no hope. And so he says that that is his joy and unrelenting pain. That's his comfort. The only thing that he's got is he knows, verse 10, that he has not denied the words of the Holy One. He is emotionally honest. He questions God. He doesn't consider suicide. He holds on to God's words. And finally, just let me say this about Job's speech. Sometimes what you feel in times of depression and anguish, sometimes what we feel or often what we feel is not what's true. Now Job feels that God's wrath is upon him. And we can understand why. And, and, and um, God on the whole commends Job for his honesty. But there is some stuff at the end of the book which Job needs to repent of and say, I shouldn't have said that. 
Because we know that God's anger is not upon him, but that's what he feels. I mean, these speeches, they do start to change. They begin very dark, but over time, Job starts to, starts to think about God. And as the speeches go on, what starts as darkness and longing for death starts to change into something where he realizes, no, wait a sec, there is this hope that I have in this God. There is hope. Now that takes time. That's not where he's at at the moment. It takes time. That's why we stick with God's word. That's why we stick to God's son. And over time, that hope will become real again. Now depression is a complex thing. This is why I think the church is so important. We are here to comfort, to counsel one another, and as Galatians says, to bear one another's burdens. We must be there for one another. This is a time of anxiety and uh, difficulty for many of us. We need our comforters. We need brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's just um, reminded me of of a guy uh, who wrote um, wonderful hymns. It's a guy called William Cooper. I'm going to read just some lines from uh, some of the hymns that he wrote, uh, one of the hymns that he wrote at the end. Um, And he wrote these wonderful truths, but he was a man who just struggled with severe depression. In fact, he tried to kill himself four times. But what helped Cooper more than anything, and he would say this, the thing that helped him more than anything was the fact that he had a friend called John Newton, uh, another hymn writer. He wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And John Newton stayed with him in such dark times where he would have been a very difficult person to get along with. But perhaps the most important thing Newton did for Cooper and the most important thing any of us can do for a suffering believer is we never tire to share the good news of Jesus Christ and his grace. Not just flippantly, but very sensitively speaking grace. Grace was what Cooper needed. And grace is what Job needs. And grace is what is missing from Eliphaz. This is third, final, much briefer point. I want us to look at the grace of the ultimate comforter, the Lord Jesus. What does grace mean? Grace means this. When God gives you what you don't deserve. See, this is what Eliphaz thinks. Do good things, God will give you good things. As if God uh, is our servant who owes us. Here's the truth of the Bible though. Not one of us is good. All of us are sinners. We've all mucked up and we are all enemies of God. So if we want God to give us what we deserve, we are in big trouble. Because we deserve nothing but his judgment. Thankfully, though, that is not how God operates. Thankfully, the God of Eliphaz is not the God of the Bible because this wild, untamable God gives grace. Just look back at what Eliphaz says in chapter 4, verse 7. See what he says. Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? Ah, Eliphaz, you fool. Not only is that what's happening to your friend right now, But that is what will happen to the God that you worship. Hundreds of years after Job, God will send his son, Jesus, the only one who was perfect and innocent and blameless in every way. And why did Jesus come? He came to suffer and to die for our sins. 
the innocent one came to perish. The upright one came to be destroyed. He came to take the punishment of our sins so that we could be eternally forgiven. You see, Job may have felt that God's anger was upon him, but we know it wasn't. However, Jesus was literally crushed by God for our sin, crushed under the anger that God had for the wrong that I've done in my life. Jesus suffered an unimaginable torment so that a sinner like me could be forgiven, set free, welcomed with him for all eternity. That is grace. You know, this is a difficult time that we are facing. Depression is a difficult thing that some of us may be facing. We tend to forget something key in these times. And we must not let this truth get lost in light of everything that's going on. We are sinners. And we have rebelled against the God who made this world. He does not owe us a thing. And yet he sent his son so that us sinners could become children. There's loads of uncertainties. It's why it's daft to try and say why we know what's going on, why we think uh, God is doing this, because so often we don't know. There's loads of uncertainties in this time with this virus. Our world's been flipped upside down, isn't it? Along for the old world of uh, hugs and handshakes and football nandos. But there are certainties that God has given us. And if you follow Jesus, this is what you can be certain of. The innocent one has suffered in your place. You are forgiven. And he's got you. And he is working everything in your life for a good that you might not see now. But you will see in eternity. That's his grace. And friends, that's what we need at this time. Grace. When we comfort our friends, we must speak grace. The comfort we need is the comfort of grace. Let me just close with these words from William Cooper, who I mentioned earlier. He says this, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfold in every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Let me pray. Father, so much we don't know in suffering. The last thing we need is pat answers for situations that we have no clue about. We don't know what you're doing, why you're doing it. Father, I pray for those that are depressed and those who are suffering right now. Lord, I pray they'd be like Job and be emotionally honest. May they speak to you. Pray suicide would not be an option. Pray that they would find comfort, Lord, in holding on to your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead them through this dark time to find real hope in the truth, the certain truth of the good news of Jesus. Please would grace be our anchor in this time of uncertainty. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sing two songs, then, I guess, that remind us of uh, God's amazing grace. Uh, we'll sing, He Will Hold Me Fast, and then after that, we're going to sing uh, Cooper's friends, John Newton's famous hymn, uh, Amazing Grace.
let's uh, let's sing these songs.
just uh, close with the final closing prayer uh, let me just say um, if you are part of a pastoral group or you've got friends uh, who have been watching this with you and um, why not get in touch with one another um, have a kind of online coffee with one another chat about some of the things uh, that, that have been brought up undoubtedly many questions brought up off the back of this um, and it's good to to wrestle through some of these issues that the book of Job will bring up. Um, let, let, let me pray though just to close off our service together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.